0: Good morning, Plum Creek. I want to welcome all of you here, and I also want to say I am glad that you made it a priority to come and worship together this morning. That is a good thing. And today is the conclusion of our series called Habits. For seven weeks now, we've been talking about spiritual disciplines. And spiritual disciplines are those practices or habits that help us grow closer to God and help us grow closer to becoming the people He wants us to be. But before we get too far here, I want to point out a message from that video we just saw. That video said, true transformation is not a matter of trying harder. It's a matter of training wisely. And here's the question I have. Um, What's the difference between trying harder and training wisely? Aren't those two things very similar? Either way, trying harder or training wisely, I'm the one working to become a better person, right? Well, I bring this up because it's very easy to get confused about this. On the one hand, the Bible does tell us we have to train ourselves. In 1 Timothy 4, 7, the Apostle Paul says, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So, train yourself to be godly. And that's not too hard to understand, is it? Because if you want to be physically healthy, you have to practice healthy habits like eating right and getting enough exercise. And this passage says that your soul is kind of similar. You and I should practice spiritual disciplines that will lead to a healthy soul. And those disciplines include things like prayer, reading Scripture, confession, worship, all kinds of things. But training hard and being disciplined sounds like it's pretty much up to me, right? It's it's on me to try really hard to become a better person or to become a godly person. Well, here's where we so easily get confused, because spiritual disciplines are not about trying hard to be a better person. Now, some of us love to work hard. We're kind of wired that way. We we like discipline. Uh, We like the challenge of doing hard things. Others of us are different. Uh, we'd, We'd rather fast forward through the work part of life. We'd rather skip to the fun part. But either way, here's the thing. Whether you love hard work or you hate hard work, your spiritual growth will not come from trying harder. Look at what Jesus said to His followers in John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus said, "'I am the vine, you are the branches.'" If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing." Now, Jesus was great with analogies, and this one I think is one of His best. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. And this picture is is so helpful when we think about it. The other day, my wife Hannah was working in the backyard, and we have this nice oak tree that we planted out back a few years ago. And recently, Hannah saw that there was a little baby oak tree growing up right next to the larger tree. And she had this idea well, she could dig up the baby tree and then plant it somewhere else. It's not a bad idea, but there was a problem. Once she started digging and got below the surface of the ground, Hannah discovered that the little tree was growing right from the trunk of the larger tree. It, it wasn't really a separate tree. It was just a branch. So, what happens if you go and plant that branch somewhere else? It may look pretty good for a day or so, but before long, the leaves start to wither and then the branch dies. We understand that. It's because a branch gets its nutrients from the trunk, and the trunk is connected to the root system and to the ground itself. Now, I suppose a branch could try really, really hard to grow into a big, strong tree. It's not going to work. It'll never happen. And it's the same with us. Jesus says, you've got to remain in me if you're going to survive, if you're going to bear fruit. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing nothing of real value, nothing that truly lasts. So, what does that tell us about spiritual disciplines? Well, for one thing, we learn that we can't think of these habits as optional add-ons to the Christian life. Now, they're not a way to earn God's approval, they're not a way to earn salvation, but spiritual disciplines are vital It's not about trying hard, any more than a branch can try hard to grow into a separate tree. So, what is it about? Well, I'll tell you. Spiritual disciplines are about welcoming the presence of God and the work of God into our lives. It's about letting the Holy Spirit do what He can do. Now, you may hear that and think, well, you know, the presence of God, God's everywhere. So, aren't we always in the presence of God? And yeah, absolutely, God is everywhere. We can't escape His presence. However, we don't always pay attention to His presence, do we? We don't always listen to what He has to say. We're not always open to do what He wants us to do. But that's the value of these habits the habits of spiritual discipline will take you to that place where God brings growth and transformation. So, we don't bring the growth, God does. And our transformation doesn't come from trying hard, it comes from intentionally getting to the place where He does the work. So, when 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, train yourself to be godly, what do we learn there? Well, we learn that we do have an important role to play Our role is to be intentional about developing these habits. Now, in week one of this series, we talked about the science of habits. And uh, there's a lot of new research that explains how our brains really depend on habits to get through everyday life. So much of what we do on a daily basis is not based on conscious decisions. It's based on habit. We used the example of driving a car. When you're first learning how to drive, you have to think about so many different tasks. Remember that? You have to think about putting the car in gear, pressing the accelerator, pressing the brake, switching that turn signal on. But then later on, many of those tasks just become second nature. You don't have to think about them anymore because your brain handles those things out of habit. Here's another way to look at it think about a hiking trail in the woods. Now, look at that picture, and imagine just stepping right into that picture. If you could do that, where would most of us be likely to go? Most likely, you would just follow the path, wouldn't you? And that's how habits work. Uh, You know, when we establish a behavior and repeat that behavior... It's like a pathway is marked out in your brain. And science has proven this. Whenever possible, your brain just wants to follow a pathway that has been laid out by your repeated behavior. And this is really good information, isn't it? Because this not only explains a lot of our actions, it gives us hope that we can change some of our old habits and start new habits. So let's think about that hiking trail in the woods. Is it possible to leave the trail and just set off through the underbrush? Well, sure that's possible. It's not the easiest path. It's not the most natural path, but you can absolutely set off and blaze a new trail. And then what if you make that new trail your everyday path? What's going to happen? Well, the plants will become flattened or worn away, and the the ground will become harder. And then… This new trail will become the most visible and the most natural pathway for walking. And over time, you'll hike along that new trail without even thinking about it. So that's really been a goal of this series. We wanted to blaze some new trails as a church and establish some new habits. That's why we set up our Facebook Live events every Sunday through Thursday evening at 7.38 p.m., and we've been on a rotation among the ministers to, to lead these events. And I've uh, been the, the Sunday night guy most of the time. And it's been fun to interact with you on this, this Facebook Live experiment. Some of you are right there at 738 every time. I could name names, but I, I won't do that. Others of you have told me, you know, we don't really watch those videos when you're live. We wait till the following morning. And and we've made that a part of our quiet time with God. And you know what? That is great, too. You've got to figure out what works for you. All of us are different. All of us have a different set of circumstances. And the point is, followers of Christ cannot think of spiritual disciplines as optional add-ons. These habits are essential for connecting with Jesus and remaining with Him. Now, this morning, we are going to cover one final habit, and I want you to know, I am aware that this is a seven-week series, and seven habits, that's a lot to cover. We're all busy. uh, We all have a lot going on, and I am hoping and I'm praying that nobody walks away from this series feeling like all we did is just add a bunch of items to your to-do list. Uh, No, that's, that's not how we should think about this connecting with Jesus that's that's not just an item on your to-do list that's that's a privilege this is a chance to build a relationship with the one who loves you most so there's no need to look at this as as a drudgery or an obligation but there's another thing to remember here although we are dealing with seven habits in this series there is a ton of crossover between these disciplines so it's not like you have to go out and blaze seven separate trails We're just following one trail. It's the trail that leads to Christ. And our final habit really brings this whole series together. Today, we're addressing the habit of solitude. Now, over my years as a preacher, I've noticed uh, that a lot of what the Bible says is very countercultural. God's Word is frequently in conflict with the normal way of thinking and doing things in our world. Today's topic, though, is about as countercultural as they come. And I'm going to warn you right now this, this habit of solitude, it may seem foreign to you or unrealistic, but I'm asking that you hang with me on this. First, because it's very biblical, but also because it's exactly what our world needs. I'll give you an example. This week, I read an article by a guy named Jason Bradley. And a few years ago, Jason's life and his faith were in crisis. He went to speak with a friend of his, kind of a spiritual mentor, and at that point, Jason had decided to give up on church. He was still trying to decide if he was done with Jesus. And as he shared what was going on, Jason began crying and even sobbing. But this mentor had a question. He asked, when was the last time you were quiet? And Jason stopped crying and he said, what do you mean? And the mentor said, when was the last time you just sat quietly with no music, no TV, no internet? When was the last time you were just silent with no distractions? And he said, sleeping doesn't count. Jason sighed and he said, I don't even know. He honestly couldn't remember the last time he had experienced a prolonged period of silence. The mentor paused for a long time, and he finally said, it seems like your emptiness has caught up with you. Your emptiness has caught up with you. How many people in our culture are headed to that place? How many of us are headed to that place? In that article, Jason Bradley said, it's like all of us have followed the advice that Marge Simpson gave to her daughter, Lisa. At one point, Marge told her, Take all your bad feelings and push them down, all the way down past your knees until you're almost walking on them, and then you'll fit in. You'll be invited to parties, and boys will like you, and happiness will follow. Now, whoever wrote that line for The Simpsons was obviously being ironic, but they've hit on a a nerve in our society because we fill our lives with noise. We fill our lives with busyness, and the goal is to stuff down or push aside everything that feels empty or painful. We're addicted to the cultural noise around us. First thing in the morning, what do many of us do? Reach for our phone, start scrolling through something, or we turn on the TV or we check our email. And we mindlessly take in whatever messages or images are swirling around us. This week, the controversy with Roseanne is a perfect example. In the meantime, though, we avoid solitude and silence like the plague. And why is that? Why is our culture so afraid of silence? Well, according to the author of this article, silence is where we have to face the dragon's Of emptiness and loneliness, frustration and anger and hurt and need. So, it's easier to be distracted, isn't it? Yeah, it's easier, but it's not better. And that's the point of today's habit. With this habit of solitude, we tackle the soul-wrenching work of letting Jesus deal with the emptiness and the pain in our hearts. Now, I want to be clear about what I mean when I say solitude. I'm not talking about some antisocial form of isolation. And I'm not talking about just trying to run away from everyone and everything. Here's what we mean by solitude Solitude is breaking away from people, breaking away from distractions for the purpose of having time alone with God. Now, in our world today, is this normal? Is this natural? For, for the majority of us, it's not, but I'm convinced that this is a keystone habit among the spiritual disciplines. And I'm convinced that most of the spiritual disciplines will, will happen when we're in solitude or they'll grow out of our times in solitude. So this habit isn't optional, it's crucial, and my conviction about this comes from looking at the life of Jesus. As you read through the Gospels in the Bible, You can't help but notice that Jesus practiced solitude, not just now and then, not just in an emergency. He pursued this practice on a very consistent basis. This week, I I started to make a list of those occasions when Jesus would uh, go be alone with God, and I'll share a few examples with you. First, Jesus practiced solitude when He had important decisions to make Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 12. It says, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and He spent the night praying to God. So, did, did you catch that? He breaks away from people, He breaks away from distractions, and He spends all night alone with God in prayer. But then look at the next verse. When morning came, He called His disciples to Him and chose twelve of them, whom He also designated apostles. And then it goes on to name the 12 apostles, Peter, Andrew, James, John, and so on. Now, it's easy for us to forget the significance of these appointments. Right here, Jesus is selecting a group of guys who will go on to lead His church and turn the world upside down. So, this was a big decision. And even though Jesus had more wisdom than anyone who had ever lived, He knew He needed to pray about this decision. He needed to seek direction from His Father in heaven. That's very interesting, isn't it? Here's another example. Jesus also practiced solitude when He was dealing with grief. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus gets some terrible news. He learns that John the Baptist has been executed by a ruler named Herod Antipas. And John was not only a close friend of Jesus, John was family. So this would have been a very tough blow for Jesus to take. So how does He respond? Look at Matthew 14, verse 12. John's disciples came and took His body and buried it, and then they went and told Jesus. And when Jesus heard what had happened, He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Now, was Jesus running away from trouble? No, that's not not what happened. Jesus was running to the presence of His heavenly Father. Now, when one of us is dealing with grief, it's, it's true that it's a very good thing uh, to be surrounded by people who care about us, who will support us and show us love. It's also true, though, that we need a certain kind of comfort that can only come from God. He's the only one that will provide exactly what we need, and Jesus knew it was important for him to seek out that comfort. I'll give you one more example. Jesus practiced solitude when he faced the greatest trial of his life. The night before the crucifixion, after the last supper, Jesus is with his disciples, and he's preparing for his excruciating death on the cross. And in Mark 14, 32, it says, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to His disciples, you sit here while I pray. So first, Jesus went to the garden with His close friends, but at some point, He decided to break away even from them so He could be alone with God. Now, I, I've given you three examples here, but I could actually share many more. When we, lo- when we look across Scripture, we see that Jesus practiced solitude as a habit. That's the message of Luke 5, 16, which says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Like I said earlier, this this wasn't a, a sporadic practice for Jesus. It was consistent. But why, of all people, why did Jesus think it was important to pursue the habit of solitude? Well, I can tell you what His motivation was not Jesus did not practice solitude because He had extra time or because His work was done or because people no longer needed Him. We just read Luke 5, 16, but let's back up just one verse, Luke 5, 15. That says, the news about Him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear Him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And then what's next? But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed, despite all the people who needed Him. You know, sometimes we feel like we're really busy. Sometimes we feel like there are so many demands on us, and we're, we're pulled in different directions. But think about Jesus. Jesus had the ability to heal any and every disease, but He never got around to healing everybody. And, and Jesus had the most important news in the history of the world, but He didn't get to share that news with everyone who was alive at the time. So if anyone had the right to say, I'm too busy, it was Jesus. But He didn't make that excuse, though, and here's why. Jesus made solitude a priority because He knew He needed to be alone with the Father. Just like every branch needs to stay connected to the vine, Jesus needed to stay connected with His heavenly Father. And yes, Jesus was fully God in a way that's hard for us to understand, but He was also fully human. So He was relying on the strength and the comfort and the guidance that could only come from that connection with His Father. So you see where I'm going with this, don't you? I'm making a very simple point here. If Jesus needed it, we need it. Jesus had more wisdom than any of us. He had more strength and endurance than any of us. But as we've seen, Jesus prioritized the habit of solitude. So what makes us think we can get away with neglecting that habit? And what makes us think it's actually a better plan to distract ourselves with noise and with busyness? Well, to be honest, some of us are are dealing with a lack of faith. We don't really believe that true spiritual transformation has to come from the Spirit of Christ, from the Holy Spirit. We think we can do it ourselves, even though that's never going to happen. After all, we're only branches. But we may have other reasons why we might neglect this habit. We may have that fear of confronting the emptiness and the pain and the sin in our hearts. Or maybe we love the feeling of significance that comes from being super busy. Or maybe we we just don't know exactly how to approach a time of solitude with God. Whatever the case, though, let's make a commitment right now while we're here, while we see things clearly. The clear truth is that Jesus needed times of solitude with God, so we need those times too. And, And while we're here, We can map out a plan, and we can encourage each other to follow the plan. So here's the challenge. Develop a rhythm of spending time alone with God. And and for some of you, this means just continuing down the path that you've already established, because that rhythm already exists in your life, and you just need to stay the course. For others, it means going back to a path that you've kind of gotten away from. And that path has become overgrown. But you've been there before, so you know you can go back to it. For a few of us, though, you may need to blaze a brand new trail here, and that's okay. But whatever your starting point is, I I want you to know this is possible. You can do it. My recommendation is that you develop this habit on three different levels, daily, weekly, and monthly. And if you're just starting out, focus on that daily habit. Spend at least a little time with God on a daily basis. That's what we've been trying to do with Facebook Live. We've we've tried to keep these videos between 5 and 10 minutes, and we've mostly kept in that time frame. Now, this is the final week for doing Facebook Live, but uh, we'll continue to have the Plum Creek Scripture reading plan in your bulletin every Sunday. Now, if, if you need a place to start with spending time with God, I recommend that you start with this reading plan, and, and I also recommend that you go back and practice the habits that we've been talking about in this series, listening to God through Scripture, speaking to God through prayer, uh, practicing the habits of worship and confession, asking God to help you become a better servant or a better steward of what He's given you. Like I said, there is a lot of crossover with these habits. Now, my only other recommendation with your daily time is to choose a consistent time and a consistent place. Make it an appointment and don't allow distraction or interruptions to keep you from that appointment. Now, in the past, we've talked a lot about having a daily habit of spending time with God, but we haven't said quite as much about the weekly or the monthly patterns. And the first thing I should mention here is the biblical practice of observing the Sabbath day every week. And you may know that this is one of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20 verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, that commandment was given thousands of years ago. And since that time, Christians have taken many different approaches to observing the Sabbath. Now, if you go back to uh, Jewish practice, the Sabbath was Saturday, right? And in the earliest days of the church, most Christians were Jewish. So, at that time, Saturday was still the day that they set aside for worship and rest. However, uh, as the church expanded into non-Jewish cultures, uh, there was a shift Christians began to focus on Sunday as that day of worship and rest, since that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And and those early Christians looked at every Sunday as kind of a mini Easter. But the bottom line is, God commanded that we would take one day out of the week to step away from work, to rest, to worship. That's still a good idea. Now, a, a Sabbath day doesn't need to be spent entirely in solitude. Part of, part of that, that time is it's coming together corporately. But solitude can certainly be a part of your Sabbath. The, the point is, figure out how to observe this day in your life. And I know that can be complicated, but it's something we need to do. Now, for the monthly part of this rhythm, I'm just going to share from my personal experience. And I don't have a, a Bible verse to go to here. But knowing our culture's aversion to solitude and silence... I'm going to suggest that you establish a monthly spiritual retreat. And here's where I got this idea. Before I was at Plum Creek, I worked at a large church down in Savannah, Georgia. And at that church, everybody on staff was required to spend one workday every month out of the office alone with God. And I actually had to write this down as part of a monthly report. I would write, okay, here's the day that I went on my spiritual retreat last month, and here's the day that I've scheduled for the upcoming month. And you know, at first, this idea seemed strange to me, and and I never really felt like I had the time to do it. After a while, though, my spiritual retreat days became very important to me. I would get out in nature and hike. I would find some quiet place to be with God. A lot of times I would listen to sermons or worship music. I would write in my prayer journal. I would read scripture or or just be quiet in God's presence. Well, now that I'm at Plum Creek, I don't have to fill out a monthly monthly report. I don't have this requirement of a retreat day, but I have carried this practice here with me. And uh, I've told the other guys on staff, I've come to think of these days as essential for my survival in ministry. I really appreciate the example of Cam Huxford, He's my old senior minister in Savannah. This guy leads a church of thousands and thousands of people, but he still takes the time for a monthly spiritual retreat. Now I realize your situation may be very different, and because of work or because of family responsibilities, taking a full day out of each month may seem completely unrealistic. But I want to encourage you to get creative because I would love for you to get the same blessing that I've gotten for years now. So maybe just once a month, figure out what works. Maybe you could wake up early and and go for a walk with God, see the sunrise, praise Him, speak to Him, build that relationship. Well, I don't know what a spiritual retreat would look like in your life, but I do know you could probably find some special way to spend some extended time with God at least once a month. Now, you'd have to make it a priority, and and you would have to get it on your calendar. And, And here's the challenge for many of us the challenge for many of us is to just stop, to get off the crazy train. to to follow the instructions of Psalm 46 where God tells us to be still and know that I'm God. This is possible. We can face the silence and let Jesus deal with whatever He finds in our hearts. We can remain in Him so that we not only survive, but thrive. Let's pray. Father, You know how we are. You know, it's so easy for us to to fill the silence in our lives to uh, just pursue that addiction to noise and busyness and neglect a time of solitude with you. But Lord, help us to be convinced of our need for this. I thank you for the example of Jesus. Of course we need this. God, help us to, to understand that True spiritual growth, true transformation, it only comes from you, from your spirit working in us. So God, I pray that uh, as we leave here today, we'll have a new commitment and maybe a clearer plan for how to pursue this habit of solitude and to grow a deeper relationship with you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.